0: So welcome aboard, everybody. So anybody who wants to stand for election as a sheriff can uh, come to these uh, training sessions first. And then when you get to know a little bit about what you have to do as a sheriff, um, then you can stand for election in your assembly. Now, tonight I want to talk first of all um, about the history of being a sheriff in in the American Revolution. That is the revolution against the Brits. So, you know, history teaches us that the revolution started with a shot that was heard around the world. That's not true. When British regulars fired upon a small group of hastily assembled patriots on the Lexington Green, they were attempting to regain control of a country and, or a colony they had already lost. The real revolution, the transfer of political authority to the American patriots, occurred the previous summer when thousands upon thousands of farmers and artisans seized power from every crown-appointed official in Massachusetts outside of Boston. Starting in August 1774, each time a court was slated to meet under a British authority in some Massachusetts town, great numbers of angry citizens made sure that it did not. At Great Barrington, 1,500 patriots filled the courthouse to prevent the judges from entering. At Worcester. Judges were made to read their recantations 30 times over, hats in hand, as they passed through 4,622 militia militia men lined up along Main Street. So they took these uh, magistrates and they made them recant. That is, they made them repent their um, transgressions against the people. So too at Springfield, where, in a sandy place, exposed to the sun, Once important, officials sweated under the burden of their heavy black suits. So they were dragged out of their courts and they were marched through the streets. Sometimes they were pelted with rotten eggs and rotten tomatoes and worse. (laughs) And um, they were even tarred and feathered and then put on a ship back to England. The functionaries of British rule cowered and collapsed. No match for the collective force of patriotic farmers. According to an eyewitness, the people of each town being drawn into separate companies marched with staves and music. So they didn't even have guns. They had sticks and drums and bagpipes and music. The trumpets sounding, didn't forget the trumpets, drums beating, fife playing and colors flying struck the patriots, the passions of the soul into a proper tone and inspired martial courage into each. And this is what we're lacking here in Australia today, is courage. Too many people are afraid of the government. That's wrong. The government should be afraid of us. And this is how you do it. The governor's councillors, once elected but now appointed directly by the Crown, were also forced to resign. Thomas Oliver, Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts and a councillor as well, ceded to a crowd of 4,000 assembled around his home in Cambridge. Timothy Payne of Worcester was visited by 2,000 men who demanded his resignation. He told a committee he would comply, but his word would not suffice. The people wanted it in writing. Even that was not enough. The crowd demanded that he come out of his house while a representative read his resignation aloud. Again, Payne complied, and again, the people wanted more. He would have had to rid his resignation himself with his hat off several times as he passed through the ranks. Nothing else would do. We need to shame these people. We need to make them cower in fear because that's what they've been doing to us. Well, fear is also a double-edged sword. Through it all, the revolutionaries engaged in a participatory democracy, which far outreached the intentions of the so-called founding fathers. They gathered under no special leaders. Their ad hoc representatives, such as the five men elected to talk with Timothy Timothy Payne, operated according to instructions approved by the assembled crowd and reported back immediately to the body as a whole. That is democracy at its finest. Even the nighttime mobs, and there were many, maintained a democratic aspect. In Braintree, 200 men gathered on a Sunday at around 8 p.m. to remove some gunpowder from the powder house and to make the local sheriff burn two warrants he was attempting to deliver. Successful in their missions, they wanted to celebrate with a loud huzzah. But should they disturb the Sabbath, they called a vote, wrote Abigail Adams, who observed the affair, and it being Sunday evening, it passed in the negative. How about that? By early October 1774, more than six months before the Red Dawn at Lexington, all Crown-appointed officials had been forced to disavow British authority or flee to Boston, which was still under military protection. The flames of sedition, wrote Governor Thomas Gage, had spread universally throughout the county and the country beyond conception. The British had lost all control of the Massachusetts countryside and they would never get it back. Are you all prepared to do this? Scholars differ widely on how to define revolution. But a good starting point, firmly rooted in common usage, can be found in the Random House Webster Dictionary, 1997. A complete and forcible overthrow and replacement of an established government or political system by the people governed. Where do we get the authority to do this? Article 61, Magna Carta. And I'll paraphrase it. Basically, it says when a government no longer serves the will of the people, the people have an absolute duty to replace that government with a, one of their own. So where do we find the barons? We don't need the barons. We need ourselves. I mean, the barons in those days were, were like the, you know, they were the big guys, but we don't need them. We are each a big guy. We come with, the power comes from within us. So the Magna Carta just tells us what we can do, but it doesn't say that we have to get the authority from the barons. That was back then, not today. Okay. So in the late summer and early fall fall of 1774, the people of rural Massachusetts completely and forcibly overthrew the established government and began to set up their own. This was the first American revolution. While a group of renowned lawyers, merchants and slave-owning planters were meeting at a Continental Congress in Philadelphia to consider or not whether or not they should challenge British rule, the plain farmers and artisans of Massachusetts, guarding their liberties jealously and voting at every turn, wrested control from the most powerful empire on earth.
1: Yeah, Mike, I had a question about that. Just the way the government's currently acting at the moment – What's to stop them from twisting their laws into that we are you know, um, a terrorist outfit, I guess, trying to gain political control of the country? Uh, And do we just fall back on, we're going all through common law essentially, and it's our right to do so, and then they can't breach that because
0: it's the law of the land? Look, you've got to understand, there are two systems of government in this land at the moment. We have their system, which is completely unlawful, And the other day, I believe it was admitted in court that Whitlam had no right to put his seal. In fact, I've got an article I'll be publishing on CIR now tomorrow. Whitlam had no authority to uh, change the seal from the crown seal and create the fake Australian seal, which is the kangaroo and emu. So they have no authority and they can make any claims they want, but they are the terrorists against we the people. They're the terrorists, not us. And don't be afraid of them. As I said before, they need to be afraid of us because we outnumber them. We are the people. We are the supreme authority under our constitution and the Magna Carta. All right, we've just talked about the American Revolution. I think you already know about that. But I'm, uh, I'm now going to talk about the history of common law sheriffs and peace officers. So a key aspect of the court and the common law assembly is its police arm without which it cannot function. The tradition of common law sheriffs is an old one in the English speaking world. Men or women appointed from the local community to detain those harming others, bring them into town or shire courts for judgment and enforce that court's sentence. In the United States, that tradition is still alive and embodied in locally elected sheriffs who are granted considerable power within their commission, their communities. The role of the common law sheriff is fourfold. You might want to write this down. One, to provide security for the court. Two, to deliver court summonses and orders to appear. Three, to detain and physically deliver to court those summoned who evade a court order. By law, our law, they are supposed to turn up to the court. So if they don't turn up, we can send out a posse of sheriffs to bring them forcibly. We can put them in handcuffs and bring them to the court.
1: So this was a, a question Tom had with uh, with me the other night. He said, "Can an assembly have more than one sheriff?" And I, I believe that I said I believe that we can. So this oh, is a good answer for that.
0: Yeah, we need as many sheriffs as possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, look at the police. They never go out in, more, in less than two, and usually groups of three or four or ten. And that's how you've got to do it, because if there's a, you know, if people resist, you need enough manpower to be able to overcome them. So the more sheriffs you can appoint, the better. So we need lots of young guys, young, fit, healthy guys and women um, ready to take action. And you need training. You need martial arts training so that you can subdue people safely and protect yourself. You need to be strong, fit, healthy. So these are all prerequisites for um, sheriffs. Uh, The sheriff does not perform these duties alone, but with deputies and other agents he appoints to assist him. Such a posse is another pejorative term that actually refers to an important traditional custom of mobilizing all the able-bodied men in a community to stop anyone who has committed a crime. The word posse comes from the Latin term pro toti posse suo, meaning to do the utmost in one's power. Now, if you don't know what all this is about, I'm going to share the screen. And this explains what our common law sheriffs and what are their duties. This video here, and I'll, in I'll, um, a minute. Yeah, we can watch it on YouTube. Just click on there. And this tells you just how um, sheriffs work. What are common law sheriffs and what are their duties? All people who were the victims of a crime in Anglo-Saxon England were expected to raise their hue and cry and apprehend the criminal. And upon hearing their cry, every able-bodied man in the community was expected to do the utmost in his power, pro toto posi to chase and apprehend the accused as a posse every man was thereby personally responsible for the law and for the safety of the entire community you as a sheriff of the commonwealth of australia are the spark that will inspire many australians to stand up for their rights and freedoms for centuries in the all right i won't uh, play the whole thing because it is on the website and you can watch it very easily there but that's where it is and that explains everything now, this is our common law uh, sheriff badge that we've designed um, and we recommend it for all assemblies, but if an assembly wants to have a different badge, as long as they've got the sheriff's adhering to the way that sheriffs should be um, behaving, we've got no problem with that. Um, this is your sheriff training manual here. You can download that and read it. That's the one that I'm reading from now. Okay. All right, let's go back here. So, according to one writer, oh, I wanted to talk about um, uh, deputising. Any sheriff can deputise any policeman. We have more authority than a policeman. Why do we have more authority? Because we get our authority from the people and from the Constitution, right? The police are um, corporate employees. They aren't our real police. They are just no better than security guards. So according to one writer, all persons who were the victims of a crime in Anglo-Saxon England were expected to raise their hue and cry and apprehend the criminal. And upon hearing their cry, every able-bodied man in the community was expected to do the utmost in his power, again that pro-toto suo, to chase and apprehend the accused as a posse so in the old days sometimes the whole town would get up in arms and chase a really bad criminal and that's the way it should be and it should be the same way here today we should be chasing after these criminals if we know that some guy is is dealing in crack the whole community should get up and arrest him instead of letting him destroy the lives of our children these people are are killing our children it's time to stop it same thing with pedophiles same thing with rapists and murderers. These are people that we need to catch. Yes, Brad?
1: Are you going to have, have a problem with me
0: selling, selling the odd bottle of home-brewed booze? No, it's not the same thing. Thank you. <laughs> we won't even have a problem if you take the occasional toke. It's the people who are harming others. That's who we go after, you know? No, nobody smokes marijuana or even has an occasional drink. They don't do any harm to anybody, except perhaps to themselves sometimes. So with yeah. that, that's if they break common law, like I
1: shall not harm, I shall not disturb the peace, breach the peace, and I shall not steal. So that's like what the main things that we'll be looking for. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not that someone's not wearing a mask.
0: <laughs> no, that's not a crime. It's a crime against humanity, actually, making someone wear one. I know that, yeah. (laughs) All right. Part of the power of such a sheriff is that he can deputise anyone to assist him, including other police officers and agents of the very institutions being named and tried in commercial common law courts. This is an especially important action and tactic during this the early stages of the development of our common law courts, since it uses the very strength of the system we are opposing against itself. Now, I'd like to make a suggestion here, because as uh, sheriffs, we are also going to be court officers, and I I recommend if you can take the time to go down to your local courthouse every now and again and just sit in the back and watch some of the cases going through to give us as an example, if a common law court summons or a arrest warrant is to be delivered against a church or a government official, the court sheriff will first deliver a copy of it to the local existing police agency, along with a deputising notice, pl- placing those police under the jurisdiction of the common law. And we have those court documents on the website. They're under court. As such, The police are then obliged to assist the sheriff and must take the same oath of common law office as the sheriff. So you will always carry that oath around with you on a card in your pocket, okay? Now, we also have a sheriff ID card, which we will be issuing. Uh, We haven't done it yet, but we will be soon. And that will be a laminated card with your picture and your name and other details on it. So if anyone ever questions you, you just pull it out and say, there's my warrant, so it'll be your warrant card. Now, this is what Commonwealth Police did before Whitlam. They always had to have a warrant card on them.
1: So once we uh, do all this stuff, like take take over the power of like the government, the police, the police are still going to exist, do you believe?
0: Temporarily, unless the um, it's it's up to the people just to, to decide. Once we start establishing these assemblies, which will then become commonwealth governments, local governments. It will be up to the police in each region, uh, sorry, the the assembly people in each region to decide what to do. And what I'm recommending is that the assembly um, invite the police to take the sheriff's oath and become sheriffs. Because let's face it, they do have the facilities and they do have everything that we need. They're just on the other side. We need to bring them in as common law sheriffs. And then we just move into their offices and we continue on as normal, but not exactly the same behaviour as the police. We're not enforcers. What are we? Peacekeepers. Peacekeepers, exactly. Just one more, one more
1: thing. It's, it's a bit different to anything you've been talking about. I just wanted to talk about it. Um, what is your, what is your solution to all the five G towers around?
0: Uh, Well, again, you know, we we don't have that power to do anything about it right now, but it will be up to each assembly to decide whether they want them or not. Oh, thank you.
1: yeah.
0: Everything will be according to the the people's will. So don't ask me what my decision is. I know what I'd like, but it's got to be the people.
1: So we at the assemblies, we ask what the people would like for us to do, and then we we do it. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Thank you.
0: (laughs) If those issued such a notice, deny or dispute it or refuse to take the oath, they are then ordered to stand down from their position and to not interfere with the sheriff in his duty. So if a policeman refuses to uh, take the oath and act as a deputy, they must stand down. They cannot continue to impede us. We can actually arrest the police then for uh, impeding the, the course of justice. If they agree with the notice, either directly or through their silence or non interference, such police agencies are tacitly abiding by the common law action and the normal protection around criminals in high office is suddenly nullified. We're already starting to see this. A lot of policemen now are jacking up and saying, we're not going to um, get the jab. In fact, we're not going to enforce COVID. The government can't do anything. So, this is what happens. This is already working in Canada. Kevin Annette is telling me a lot of the police over there now are coming over to common law, and they are refusing to enforce for the government. And that's what's starting to happen here too. How many police have already turned? More will come, and that's what we need. We want them on our side. And once that happens, the government has no enforcers. What can they do? We just arrest them.
1: Just go put them in all them concentration camps. <laughs>
0: Ah, good point. (laughs) So, such a remarkable encounter is, in effect, an enormous tug of war between two contending legal systems. A battle of wills played out in full public view as an enormous teaching moment. So, once people start seeing us doing this, it's going to be a game changer. Our aim is to create and encourage such a creative confrontation and moral conflict at every level of official society. So in other words, they're gonna be torn. Who, Who do I serve? Which master do I serve? And eventually, a lot of the police will see, I better serve the people, not my masters. Even if the masters pay them, it's the people with the power. This is the bigger and crucial point of that particular confrontation between court sheriffs and civil law policemen which must always be visible and televised to the world as it occurs, that it is a chance for the people to learn directly that those policemen and soldiers who provide the muscle for the system are not exempt from the authority of common law and must ultimately make a choice concerning who and what they serve. The moral and propaganda value of publicly posing such a question is inestimable.